0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Mara Glatzel, your host. And before we dive into today's episode and today's amazing guest, I wanted to remind you that my signature program, TEND, which opens once a year, uh, has its doors open right now. If you want to circle with me, gather with me and a community of amazing like-minded humans, help you move from a space of self-abandonment to a place of self-partnership, and really take radical self-responsibility for your needs so that you can build self-trust and blossom into self-love. I would love to have you. You can find out more and claim your spot over at maraglatzel.com backslash tend. Now to today's show. Today I am joined by Sarah Flick. Sarah Flick is a psychiatrist, spiritual director, and writer. She lives in Texas with her husband, Bob, and their golden retriever, Scout. She and Bob have one daughter, Katie. Sarah worked in community mental health throughout her career. She has offered spiritual direction for 15 years, specializing in supporting clergy and other seekers through discernment processes and life transitions. She has led retreats for churches and other entities throughout the greater Houston, Galveston area and beyond. Sarah has received specialized training in mind-body medicine and in spiritual direction. She recently completed body-positive yoga teacher training with Amber Carnes and is now certified to teach. Sarah is the author of Desire, Mystery, Belonging, A Love Letter, and Spiritual Geography, an unpublished manuscript in process. Welcome, Sarah. I am so excited that you are here today. Thank you for having me. Will you tell us a little bit about who you are,
1: what you do, why you do what you do? Sure. Um, My name is Sarah Flick, and I live in Texas, um, where it's really hot right now, already today. And I live in a little town called Friendswood that was settled by Quakers about 100 years ago. That's why it's called Friendswood. And um, it's about halfway between Houston and Galveston. So it's really Southeast Texas and it's hot a lot, a lot of the time. So we're used to summer for sure. My vocation, my what I do has changed over the years quite a bit. I am married to Bob, who is a retired Episcopal priest. And I have, we have a daughter named Katie who is about to enter nursing school. And most of my sort of day job for many years was um, in psychiatry. I was an adult and child board certified psychiatrist who spent most of my career working in Houston's public mental health system. I taught at several of the medical schools in the area, but my focus was really public mental health. And in Texas, about in Houston, and in particular, about 40% of the population has no health insurance. And that's who we took care of. Texas also is very close to the bottom in terms of public funding for public mental health. And so it was years and years and years of trying to squeeze blood from turnips. I love the work. I loved my colleagues. I love the patients and the families and the advocates. And after about 30 years of that, I was pretty much ready to stop. So that was four years ago. And after a long, long time working in that role, I transitioned into kind of an early retirement. My husband had retired and we wanted to travel and we had really never been able to travel because we were both always on call. And so I was very excited about that. And mostly what I have done in these years, well, a couple of things. One is I'm a spiritual director by training, which means that I'm a companion for people who are interested in their own spiritual journey. And that might mean a traditional spiritual journey and it might also mean what is my life about <laughs> what how can i discern the next right step for myself and so it's it's a process of walking with someone companioning someone and listening and reflecting to them um with them and it's not counseling it's not therapy it's not coaching it's a different process and i completed a three-year training program to um, do that. I've been offering that for about 15 years. Um, And the way things have happened, I mostly end up working with clergy and people in leadership positions who are looking for deeper meaning. So I do that. And then I've also worked on writing a manuscript about some of my thoughts about spirituality, some of my experiences. And most recently, the last year, um, I completed a 200-hour yoga teacher training, and that's a whole story all by itself. But anyway, so right now I'm kind of a seeker, spiritual director, brand new yoga teacher, wife, mom, friend, person.
0: Mm, I'm so grateful to be connected to you, Sarah, and to have you as part of my life. You know, I... I'm, I'm really excited to get to dive in a little bit today with you to talk to you about how you, what, what is meeting your needs look like right now? And how has that shifted for you, you know, over the last say, I don't know, 10 years of your life?
1: Well, if I think back 10 years or so, even six years or so, the first thing that comes to mind for me and and when, actually, I first started thinking about spiritual direction was caregiving. When I went to medical school, it was for a number of reasons. Um, I didn't start out going to medical school. I had a degree in psychology, which meant in those days that I could work mostly at minimum wage jobs. <laughs> and because not no exciting jobs were available to people with bachelor's degrees in psychology. Um, And I did that for a while. And I ended up going to, for a couple of years, to Washington, D.C. to work in a volunteer program. And what I did there was coordinate a free clinic um, in the inner city. And that was really a game changer for me. That was the first time I was ever exposed to a spiritual direction relationship. And the the program I was in was at the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, which is still operative today. And one of the Jesuit traditions, which is a really old and well-known um, Roman Catholic men's religious order, one of their practices and traditions is spiritual direction, just having someone that you can unpack and examining your, your spiritual experience with. I was very leery. I didn't want that. <laughs> I didn't want to be told by anyone that stuff. And I stayed a second year. And that year, I thought, well, I can't be a volunteer my whole life. I need to discern what's coming next. And maybe I should check into this. And so I found this um, guy. And He was the Jesuit priest and I started meeting with him once a month and mostly he listened and it was sort of mysterious to me how it happened, but I ended up going on a retreat and I knew by the end of that retreat that I needed to go to medical school. I needed to apply to medical school. And so I felt like it was a call. It was an invitation. I didn't really understand it because I had not taken any pre-med courses. So I had to go back and do all of that. But I just I was young. And I thought, you know, I'm feeling this inside, why not follow it and see what happens. So fast forward a bunch of years, I became a psychiatrist, I worked in public mental health, I taught about those systems to medical students and others. And then I ended up near the end of those years feeling like I just needed to do something different. I wanted to spend time with my family. I was really tired, but I had been a caregiver at a lot of different levels within my work system. I had been a caregiver in my family with both of my parents, along with my sisters, as they approached the end of their lives. And I think that my friends, some of them (laughs) also thought I was a caregiver because I wore it well. You know, I worked really hard to get things right and to try to be helpful and to do the right thing at work, at home, everywhere as much as I could. And there was really, you know, that message Partly came from medical school, partly came from being part of a family that had a long history of serving other people, and partly because I just thought, you know, maybe I could always do it better if I worked a little bit harder. And I think eventually I ran into the brick wall of really close to burnout, and I kind of leaped out of that space into a space where I really didn't know who I was. I really didn't know um, what I should do. It was hard to stop working. It was great to travel and have fun with my husband and my daughter and my friends. And I'm still really enjoying having more freedom. But I started exploring where, where are my instructions coming from now? You know, I'm not practicing medicine where are the parameters for what I should be doing? How can I be serving? And it was challenging for me. And so I think the shift happened and it's still happening. It's taken a while, but the biggest shift was learning how to listen deep inside, even deeper in in a new way, not just, you know, what do I feel I'm being called to, but, what really, really, really inside is my deepest desire? I mean, I tell people in spiritual direction that it's a very Franciscan um, concept that if you want to know God, follow your deepest desire, which in the early days, the Middle Ages, basically, a lot of the, the sort of formal religious traditions had to do with turning away from what we love. And emptying yourself. And this was a very different concept. This was not so much sacrificing, but rather embracing. And the idea was that our deepest desire, the deep, deep, deepest desire is to be fully who we are, to be fully ourselves. And it isn't that we aren't fully ourselves before, but I think I had finally the time and the energy and enough sleep to begin to really get to know and explore my own deepest desire. And that deepened my practice of spiritual spiritual direction with other people. And I learned a lot of things. I've, I've found a handful of teachers in a new way in the last four years. And one of them is you, Mara. And being part of your crowd has taught me so much and really been a big part of what I think empowered me to shift into the directions I'm going to follow are going to come from my landscape, my interior landscape. Those are sacred instructions, as far as I'm concerned. And it's scary to begin to make that shift more and more. But as I get older, I'm more comfortable with that. I'm more confident in that. And living in the uncertainty that we live in now, and really we've always lived in, but we just thought we didn't maybe, Um, the illusion of certainty. I am learning to trust, to trust what my deepest desire might really be. And to understand that following that will lead to the uncertainty that now we're all experiencing, but is always around us. And how do we walk that path? shifting the locus of sort of direction from outside of us to
0: inside. Mm, Thank you, Sarah. I, I felt almost like I could cry when you got to the part where you, (laughs) you, you know, talked about that desire, that deep, deep, deep desire to be fully ourselves because that's something that I, so feel and so yearn for, and I'm so afraid of for so many reasons. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's, you know, as you know, but as everyone who's listening can know now, um, that's so much of my work is born out of that as well. You know, this, like we can't, we can't help, but be the needy humans that we are, you know, we can't help, but be All of like want what we want, love what we love, need what we need. It's like we can't help but be ourselves. And yet so many of us are shouldering this really heavy expectation that we should be different than we are somehow, that it would be better if we were different than we are somehow. And also that being, you know, I'm like air quoting away over here, being good (laughs) or being right or doing the right thing. Means being of service or caring for others in a way that leaves our human self behind. Yes, and so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about that that piece for anyone who's hearing that idea of like follow my deepest desire. (laughs) Who knows where that's going (laughs) to lead? Because I think that you know, there's like there's so much fear, and really, what that is is that a deep, a learned mistrust in our own natural human selves. Yes.
1: I think that what I'm increasingly clear about when I said that the instructions for many, many years kind of came from the outside is that it's not about, for me, it wasn't about saying, well, screw the medical convention. (laughs) I really understood that science was one of the the pieces of my world that I better understood after going to medical school, and that the science, in my case, of psychiatry was still very young and new and continues to evolve. And it was in my interest and the interest of the people I served to pay attention to that. And I wasn't you know, I'm not really saying that following my deepest desire meant forget all of the science. But what it did mean is that there was a part of me that I think expanded the science, if that makes sense. I needed to learn the science. My I, I took the Hippocratic Oath to be faithful to that science. I did my best to do that. And to bring my own knowing, my own compassion, my own sense of what might be helpful for someone into those conversations. And so it was never for me, at least in the earlier part of my life, about turning away completely from the outside, the outside that I had confidence in But more in making it my own and embracing that and then using my other skill sets of intuitiveness and compassion, sensitivity to be present to the human being who had the brain that we were trying to help feel better. Now, I understand really well, more and more, that... There's a big difference between receiving instructions from science that's followed tried and true methods and receiving instructions from dominant culture. But dominant culture, I'm learning more and more and more about, has run the show my entire life and a lot of our entire lives. And it's it's happening more, not less. And one of the things that was so important for me as I felt drawn to look at learning how to teach yoga, which was not something I had ever planned to do, was learning in this particular program about more about dominant culture and those instructions that are poured out into the air around us from magazines, from TV, from everywhere, um, the people we know, and that, that is a very different story. And so beginning to unpack that, and, and there's a connection there, Mara, that you know about, but just for our listeners, I have studied with Mara for several years in her program, Tent, which is launching soon, which excites me. And I had the wonderful opportunity to go on a Um, in-person retreat with Mara and a group of women a couple of years ago. And one of the people that I met at that retreat was Amber Carnes, who's the founder of Body Positive Yoga. And Amber, um, not too long after our retreat, decided to offer a yoga teacher training, a 200-hour yoga teacher training. And I felt very called to be part of that, just like I felt that call to go to medical school. And I didn't know why. I am not really great at yoga. I'm better than I was. But I felt the call to do it for me. And so much of what I learned and following that interior invitation that came to me in the the process of living my life has meant so much. And it's helped me understand more and more and more that that being our fullest self, following our deepest desire has nothing at all to do with a body that looks like what dominant culture would like it to look like. It has nothing to do with how much money I have or don't have. Following your deepest desire and be, and showing up as your fullest self is a holy, regardless of spiritual tradition, or even no spiritual um, tradition, is the holy invitation. And it is also a radical invitation, because it stands in the face of all those outside messages that we get. And we've, I believe we've reached a point now in our culture where standing up against those messages, to the extent that we're able to has become a life or death issue for people around us and possibly for ourselves and those we love and so the the skill to be able to discern what's true here what's not true here what's important for me in this message has become really essential to our lives and our communities and our belonging as we know it. So I feel like that urgency is real um, and it has to do with learning to live from the inside out.
0: I love that phrase, uh, the interior invitation. It's like such a magical way to think about receiving messages and also, you know, so often... I hear from humans who are listening to this podcast or, you know, people that I'm, I'm working with that they, they feel so disconnected from that, you know, it's like, even if they were to, to receive an invitation, they, you know, it's like really hard to, to trust that it's an okay thing to follow. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit, like what, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, it doesn't feel easy for you all the time either. Um, but I'm wondering, like, what happens in those moments for you where you're all of a sudden feeling really called to Amber, who, you know, has been on this podcast. We love Amber, uh, <laughs> to Amber's yoga teacher training. And you get that message. And do you, did you feel surprised by it? What, what were the moments after that uh, like for you? I was very surprised. (laughs) Um,
1: Like, uh, if I had been called to join the circus, maybe. um, Which is, of course, you know, I'm learning that nothing is outside of our possibility. But, but living in the soup of dominant culture and the judgment that at least I had for myself, even after. Over 30 years of practicing medicine, was I still good enough? And I think for me, what happened caught me by surprise a little bit. But I've learned, Mara, that being part of your crowd (laughs) provides all kinds of surprises. And that's one of your superpowers is that you can surprise people in the best way. And so I wasn't totally surprised. But I was strong enough of a call that I, what I've learned and what I often encourage people to do is just hang out with it, you know, pay attention to it, unpack it, you know, what, what would be the worst thing that could happen if you tried this? What could be the best thing that would happen? What can you Can I imagine happening that I would have never thought of before? Where would the surprises be? And what I've learned over the years and invited others into is if we just hang out with those desires and those invitations, and again, they change, you know, it's not like, I mean, I think there are some people who know what they want to be when they grow up and they're only four years old. But in my experience, that's not most people. It certainly wasn't me. I kind of thought I might want to be an astronaut when I was 10. Um, and that never happened. So although I live close to NASA now, but it, it takes, I think, uh, a consolidation and a sort of collaboration with our whole selves, our minds and bodies and spirits to be stabilized and ready to allow that new idea to sort of take root in us and in terms of looking at Amber's program the timing was right it was about a year ago when I started looking at all this and I had no idea of course no one had any idea where it would all lead but all I could think about was my own yoga experience which was off and on mostly in retreat settings I'm a huge fan of personal retreats I love being at them. I love facilitating them. I think that's where a lot of discernment and getting to know our our deepest desires can happen. And then we can unpack that back in our actual everyday lives. But I remember talking to Amber about it because, you know, that was the first step. And I had a lot of reasons why I shouldn't do it. (laughs) You know, and I said, Amber, you know, I'm older. I don't really feel older, but I literally am. And I I, I mean, that's how I feel as you get older. Um, I'm not sure that I want to be tied down to teaching a class schedule. And I, you know, I don't know. I, I've always been klutzy. I've broken a lot of bones over the years of my life. I just don't know. You know, I don't know why that I'm feeling drawn to this. And she just listened and she said, well, you know, a lot of people say that including her, she said that, you know, their first yoga teacher training is really all about unpacking themselves. And I had no idea. I mean, I spent lots of years and involved in this kind of work and experience And I had no idea what was waiting for me. There was a very powerful urge to say yes. And there were there weren't any practical obstacles at that point. It was last fall when the world was still kind of normal-ish. And so I did it. And it turned out to be such a wonderful experience and such a nurturing experience and really a powerful example just for me of this process of desire, mystery, and belonging. Because, of course, I didn't know how to be a yoga teacher. But there was something inside me really beckoning very powerfully to that. And, of course, dominant culture was like, you, a yoga teacher? I don't think so. You're already a psychiatrist. You're already a spiritual director. Why don't you just, like, sit on the couch and read a book? which I also love to do and I do do, but I knew that that invitation, not from dominant culture, but from inside me was important. So I bought a plane ticket and I went and got to know 15 other people from all over the country that I wouldn't have ever met. And it's been such a mystery for sure. There was so much more I learned about and I'm still just beginning to learn about that has nothing to do really with a yoga posture, any of them. That is certainly part of the practice of yoga and the teaching of yoga. But there's a huge expansive world beyond that of yoga philosophy that has just caught fire inside me. And again, sort of merged and melted into what I already had inside me and it got me ready, I think, in many, many ways. It, literally, the last week of our training, which was supposed to be in Richmond, was canceled the day before I was going to get on a plane. And we finished the whole program online. And we are still in very close community, virtually. <laughs> and they're do- my classmates are doing amazing things already in the world in this time where teaching yoga in a studio is basically falling apart. So there's new life being infused to what it means to practice yoga and the fullness of that. And the way I lived into that mystery, and I have no idea what that will mean for me. And that's okay. I can see in belonging to this group of people who I shared that experience with. And certainly Amber herself, who is like, the most tender and the strongest leader ever, and the most inspiring teacher, we are finding our path in a world that is totally foreign now. And and so I'm really excited to see where that might go for me and for my friends and for all the people out there. And it's Amber taught us about teaching an accessible yoga, body positive yoga, and yoga that aligns with social justice and accessibility and inclusiveness. Um, and it's really exciting. And so, once again, I am learning that if I had just looked at that invitation from last summer and said, eh, you know. <laughs> i'm I'm too old for that. what I would have missed, what I would have missed um, and and so I'm carrying the potential whatever happens from here of a stronger and more resilient inner core, and I think that following that invitation offered that, and I see that and hear that in the people that I'm honored to listen to in spiritual direction that it's like self-trust, you know, and you talk about, and Jen Loudon talks about another teacher of mine, ours, <laughs> that you, you build it by doing it. You know, you, you get better at something by practicing. And so saying yes and dipping your toe into a new experience that doesn't have any guarantees, you know, that ask for an investment, and of course, we don't know when the pandemic's gonna be over. We don't know. And we've really never known. Um, but I think for many, many years, I was comforted by my calendar and the schedule that this would happen now and that will happen then. Um, and, and life works better if we have some confidence in our calendar but the greater reality is that we have to live right now where the invitation is to be who we are and show up as who we are right now. I believe regardless of what religion says or doesn't say that that is really holiness and that that's who we were born to be. And it takes a lot of courage and a lot of work and Sometimes a lot of investment in different ways, time, energy to follow that thread. You know, William Stafford's poem talks about that the poem is the way it is, and it talks about following the thread that goes everywhere we go throughout our lives. And you don't ever let go of the thread, and you may not even know what it is, but you know it's there. So I think it's practice. I think it's. Every time we say yes to those invitations, we get a little bit stronger, a little bit more resilient, a little bit more thoughtful about our lives and ourselves and how we can serve and how we can align with what really matters inside of us. Because there's no doubt that my adventure with the yoga teacher training program was made possible by privilege. I could get an airplane ticket and go there. But the invitations are not just about a program. Sometimes it's about having a conversation. Sometimes it's about getting a root canal. Lots of things, little and big, that call on us to rise up inside ourselves and show up. And in order to do that, and I've learned so much about this from you, it's it's those needs that we have that are more than needs. They are the air that we breathe emotionally, spiritually, mentally, socially, and paying attention to those intentionally has helped me certainly be able to open my eyes and look around and feel safe in making choices that say yes.
0: Oh, thank you, Sarah. That's so beautiful and I love just being able to watch from behind the scenes, you know, from the retreat when you and Amber first met to the yoga teacher training. It's like (laughs) I, I mean, I just so believe in everything that you're saying, and it's been beautiful to watch that happen because you're both humans that I love and respect so much, and you know, to to like watch how this happens. You know, it's like you say yes to one thing and it leads you to the next thing, and you say yes to that thing, and you know, I love that idea of following the thread because we may we may think or wanna think that we know where everything's going to lead but we we don't necessarily i didn't know that you know becoming a social worker was going to lead me to this moment where i'm doing work totally unlike what i thought i was going to do right <laughs> you know cuz i thought i was going to be a psychotherapist right and you know and so but it had mm-hmm. but following the thread has led me here and so thank you And I'm wondering if you'll indulge me for a moment and, uh, for, for people who are listening, who are feeling that invitation to join TEND this year are feeling called and, you know, wanting to say yes to it, but feeling really unsure or nervous about what that, what the implications of that yes might mean. I'm wondering if you have a few words for them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I do. I think that, and, and. In transparency, I have been in tend three times, and very likely to be in a fourth if I get accepted. <laughs> I wanted to do Tend a while back before I actually did it. And my hesitation had to do with it felt big, it felt really big, and at the time that I had the capacity to do it, I thought it's too big and what's going to happen to me, which was kind of a primal instinct and more like, I think what I might've thought when I was much, much, much younger. So it surprised me. But the next year I had known people actually who had, had been in the tent program. And so I decided I was going to jump in. I I had studied some of Mara's other courses and really loved the way that you, Mara, teach and are present to people. And so I remember saying this will actually, I think it will help me, the information just from the website, I was sure would, would be of support to me and help me, what I had no idea about. And you can't have this idea until you do it are this when I said earlier that Mara has surprises and brings surprises to the table is that the very nature of a surprise is that you don't know about it ahead of time. And what I can tell you is that the things that surprised me about TEND in the, in the very best way were many. Um, But just a couple are that I learned the first time and every time since, over and over again, because sometimes I and we need to learn things multiple times. That I didn't have to do it right, air quotes right. I didn't have to do it perfectly, and it was okay if I missed a call. It was okay if I missed a month. It was okay because the ten program is so organic in and of itself that. I had the experience of feeling like I was carried literally by Mara and by TEND, by the program itself, by the community, even when I wasn't there and that it was a long enough period of time that the, the seeds that were planted in TEND really took root and began to grow. And I learned, first of all, I don't need to be perfect here or anywhere else which was, I had learned that in my head before, but I think with Tand I learned it in a new way, um, in a deeper way. And it was really important for me to, to practice knowing that because I think that the more I can practice that myself, the more I can offer that assurance to other people. And it's not only kind and compassionate to say it doesn't have to be perfect. It's actually aligned with reality. And I think it's a better world to live in if it's aligned with reality that nothing is perfect. And so that was a huge gift. And then there were many, many more, but what just one other that I think is very powerful and has been really a treasure to me is the community and the chance to really be part of a community that in some cases covers the whole planet, people from all over the world and knowing that what's important to me is important to those people and vice versa. Mara, you have an amazing gift for intuiting (laughs) what's important on any given day. And there's many, many, many opportunities and invitations to take a look at this particular question or that particular idea And there are themes that travel all the way through, but there are many, many ways to look at everything. And so being in community around those those invitations offers a, a longstanding experience in being able, practicing sharing and practicing hearing and seeing how much we really do share, all of us. And I think that is that sense of belonging that helps us through the mysteries that, and I know it isn't just me. I know it's my other friends who have been part of 10, that there's a bond there that transcends space, transcends time. Um, And it has to do with this invitation to show up um, and live, you know, according to our insides and take good care of our, inner landscape. Um, There's so much helpful and important information. And I can say as someone sort of post-career, post-typical career now and living in a lot more freedom, it's taken me a while in my own life to unlearn the things. Again, we were talking about dominant culture before, to get strong enough interiorly In community and with Mara's help and a lot of other people too, to, to begin to ask those questions of myself and, and move the lighthouse, (laughs) you know, inside of me, like, like take the place that, that lights things up for me while not ignoring the outside, but to collaborate with the outside and to to make discerning decisions about my engagement with my life, my external life based on the lighthouse that's deep inside me. And so not having to do that perfectly and not
0: doing it alone has been very powerful for me. Oh, thank you, Sarah. That's kind of you. And I just am like my welling up hearing about it so, thank you, and thank you for everything that you've given to us on this interview today. It's been just amazing getting to talk to you and and i'm I'm sure that it was really inspiring for for everybody else who was listening as well. Where can we find you? People want to know more about what you're about? Where can they find you?
1: I have a website that's mostly Blog post, but it's also got information about some of the other work I do with retreats and things like that. And it's uh, grace, so A P P A R E N T, and then the word grace.com. I'm on Facebook. My middle name is Robinson, and so my Facebook name is Sarah Robinson Flick. Um, and Instagram, I think, is Sarah
0: R Flick. I'll link it up in the show notes if anybody who's listening wants to go <laughs> hang out with um, with Sarah in any of these places. And I, again, so yes. recommend it. I cherish Sarah so much. So thank you. Thank you.
1: It's been wonderful to have this time with you and with your listeners. And I love the Needy Podcast. I have loved it from the beginning. And so I feel really honored to have the chance to be here today. I'm really, really thankful. Grateful.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Needy Podcast with Mara Glatzel. If you'd like my support in learning how to nourish your needs, dance on over to theneedypodcast.com to sign yourself up for Revive, a gorgeously free five-day course chock full of real self-care and daily tending. If you love today's episode, pretty please leave us a review on iTunes and join us next week. And as always, permission loves company. So if there's a human in your life that you think can benefit from this conversation, I would be so grateful if you shared it with them. Thank you.